Please be seated. God is good. All the time. Amen. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son and for the gift of salvation because of your love for each and every one of us. Thank you for your mercy. Open your word to us so that we may see with your eyes and be moved with your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have heard this before, but when a company or a Christian agency or a church begins to lose its focus on its mission or the reason that it exists in the first place, they call it mission drift. Uh, that's what happens sometimes in our Christian faith when we take our eyes off Jesus, when we lose track of the reason that God created us in the first place, which is to bring glory to himself. When we get off track, of course, we need a course correction to get back on track. And if we don't, our mission gets lost. It's what happens when we fail to follow. I use the term Jesus followers a lot these days. Uh, I find that the word Christian has gotten watered down a little bit, that, that the word Christian doesn't always cut it. it. It seems to me that in our country, people call themselves Christian a lot, but that doesn't always mean Christ follower. Sometimes it's a cultural label. And in our Christian faith, we want to move beyond culture. We want to move into the presence of God. Uh, my sermon series is called That Sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon it, uh, that's recorded in the Gospels. It's uh, Jesus-focused. It's, it's a special piece. We'll talk about that. In, in Matthew, it's from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. You might want to turn to Matthew 5. It, this is not a sermon for generic Christians. This is a sermon for Christ followers and kingdom-loving and kingdom-living disciples. You know, in Jesus, we're a new creation. And as a new creation people, we ask the question, how should we live? And as a new creation community, we ask, how should we live as the body of Christ well, that sermon that Jesus gave on the mountain, it does a pretty good job of answering those questions. I had a lot of questions about Christian life. Matthew 5 tells us that, that Jesus, he had been out preaching, he had begun his preaching ministry, and um, in Matthew 4, and then a crowd began to gather, and in Matthew 5, it says that Jesus saw these crowds that were following him, and they went up on the side of the mountain, and he sat down. You know, there's special significance to that. When a rabbi sat down, it meant that he was about to teach. And it also meant seriousness. If a casual conversation took place on your feet, but when the rabbi sat down, it, it meant that what he was going to say was important and usually that it was official, that this was really the word of God. And so when the rabbi sat down, it was time to get quiet and to listen. And so as soon as Jesus sat down on the mountainside, it says the disciples came because they knew what time it was. It was time to listen. And of course, the crowds had already gathered. And he began to teach them. And we call the first part of that teaching the Beatitudes. Let's uh, read through them. We read through them last week, but let's read through all of them this week so that uh, 
just so that they're all fresh in our minds. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Last week, we started with the first four Beatitudes. We, we started with the poor in spirit, those who mourned, the meek, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now this week, we're looking at the second group of four. We're looking at mercy, purity of heart, peacemaking, and persecution. All four are a significant part of the life of a believer. Uh, you know, if you're serious about being a Jesus follower, you need to pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount because that's what Jesus is trying to say life should look like. So let's continue where we left off last week, and we're going to jump right into the, the subject of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's a story you may have heard before about uh, a woman who went to the Emperor Nero looking for a pardon for her son. And the Emperor uh, replied that, you know, the young man, he's committed this crime twice, and so he deserves what he's getting. Justice demands death. But the woman said to him, but I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. Napoleon said, well, your son does not deserve mercy. Sir, the woman begged. It would not be mercy if he deserved it, and mercy is what I'm asking for. Well then, said Nero, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Before God's throne, we don't ask for justice. We deserve our fate. We need God's mercy. And as Jesus followers, we are called to do the same, to be conduits of mercy for other people around us. Mercy is based on a word in the Hebrew. The word is chesed, which you might know as God's loyal love, but it has a bigger meaning. It is his eternal mercy when it comes to human beings. And it carries the meaning of identifying in the suffering of other people, entering into that other person's problems with understanding and with compassion. This is what God did for us. Through Jesus, God identified with humanity. And he suffered on our behalf because of our sin. You know, a lot of the time, mercy involves forgiveness. And especially to forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. To forgive somebody who is guilty. And that's very, very hard to do, isn't it? Um, but it's what God did for us. Through Jesus, God identified with humanity. And he entered in with us, and he suffered on our behalf because of our sin. We were guilty. We were sinful before God. 
But God looked at us, and he showed compassion on us, and he entered into our lives, into humanity, and he took sin on himself. And he not only showed mercy, he took the punishment for himself. We are called to offer forgiveness for the guilty. We are called to a life of compassion for the suffering and for the needy. That doesn't mean we don't ever hold someone accountable, because we do. God forgave us, but he holds us accountable for a certain way of living, what he's called us to. He's called us to have compassion for others because they are sinners just like us. Right? Isn't that right? We are Jesus' followers because we've received mercy from God. And as a result, we're now channels of God's mercy to other people. You know, when we refuse to forgive, we're turning off that pipeline to mercy. We stand as judges rather than pipelines to freedom. James said in his book, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I think a lot of time in the Christian world, we'd rather judge than love. For Jesus, forgiveness and mercy are bound together. They're part of the same thing. In Matthew chapter 18, you know, have Peter looking for a loophole, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, says uh, hey, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? He thought he was being generous. And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he goes on to make his point by telling the parable of the unforgiving servant. You know, the one where the king forgives the man of his debts, the servant of his debts, and then the servant turns around and he, and he goes to the person who owes him money and he puts him in debtor's prison. The king hears about it and he says, wait a minute, I forgave you and look how you behaved over here. And so he put him in that same prison. Mercy leads to mercy, or at least it should. Refusing to show mercy brings us to a place of suffering. Now, you know what I'm talking about. When you don't forgive somebody, you know how that works in your life? I've seen a lot of people over the years suffer because of a lack of forgiveness. Unforgiveness eats us up from the inside. And a little later in this Sermon on the Mount, in, in Chapter 6, Jesus says, you know, if you don't forgive others, you will not be forgiven by your heavenly Father. And so there is a sense in which forgiveness hangs on our forgiving to others. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, as Christ's followers, we are those conduits of mercy to those people around us, even the people who don't deserve it. But you know something, if we don't show mercy in the same way that God showed us mercy, those same people around you will remain lost. They will remain without Jesus because offering the mercy of God is part of what we're called to do.
You ever wonder why in the Catholic Church a priest gives absolution when somebody confesses? It's because people desperately need mercy and forgiveness, and sometimes we need to pray that over them. Sometimes we need to speak words of mercy and words of forgiveness over people as they come and they humble themselves before God. Well, Jesus went on to say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, he's talking here about obvious moral purity. That's sort of the obvious sense when we think of purity. But, but there's some, some special meaning to these words. It's, it's about single-mindedness of heart, having an undivided faith. The word pure here, it's a word that's used in metallurgy, in the refining of metals, and it's a metal that is unmixed. It's without any alloys in it. So blessed are those with unmixed motives as they seek the will of God. Matthew talks about this kind of commitment all the way through the gospel. He says, you, for example, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and the world. I see all the time there are some new forms of Christianity that seek to deconstruct our faith and then rebuild it. Uh, and that's not a bad thing in and of itself. In fact, uh, sometimes we need to take a good hard look at our faith and, and weigh out all its pieces and, and look at what's biblical and what is cultural. And sometimes we need to leave some of the cultural stuff behind. And that's not because it was bad stuff, but because... These things aren't always particularly helpful to moving forward in our faith and in following Christ. But some movements have failed in the reconstruction part. They've uh, sort of gone the route of trying to modernize Christianity, and, and they've not always built on the solid teaching of Scripture. Often what's left and left out is what's uncomfortable or what doesn't fit in the current culture, instead of what fits with Jesus and what fits with his teaching. In 1 Kings 18, you know the, the story of the, the prophets of Baal? And uh, in that story, the people were trying to serve both God and Baal. We had a leader in Ahab and Jezebel, and they led the people to serve the false god Baal, and, and so Elijah uh, had Ahab summon the people from all across Israel to come and gather in one group. He was going to show you who was God. And he stands before the people and he says to them, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. People were double-minded. They were trying to do both things at once. This one gave us certain kinds of things, and this one gave us certain kinds of things. And we kind of like the kinds of things over here because, you know, there's not a lot of responsibility and there's lots of pleasure in that part. But over here, there's the following of God, and sometimes that means sacrifice, and sometimes that means giving things up. And the people were double-minded. And Elijah calls them to stand and to make up their mind, to choose 
You know, it reminds you of Joshua, you know, as he assumes leadership of the people of Israel in Joshua 24, he stands before the people, he says, choose for yourselves this day, who are you going to serve? And then at the end of that speech, he says, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Double-mindedness doesn't allow us to really approach the throne of God. Double-mindedness doesn't allow us to worship God in the full with him always, always first. And you know, God's people have always had to choose. God or not, Jesus or not. Purity of heart means a heart undivided, fully focused on Jesus. No room for other gods. Eyes fixed on the one who saves us. And Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's that real, childlike faith, undiluted by other gods. That's how we engage with Jesus. It's how we gain eternal life. Believing not in ourselves, but on the one who died on the cross for our sins and was raised on the third day. I was reading an article the other day. It was talking about um, uh, Stevie Nicks, the rock singer from Fleetwood Mac, and the front page was, I saved myself. I saved myself. And then underneath, to reinforce it, it says, nobody saved me. I saved myself. Well, she did well recovering from drug abuse, but she still needs saved. She still needs God. Jesus went on to teach, saying, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You know, this is one of those inconvenient um, teachings that I was talking about last week. You know, we often spend our time being party makers instead of peacemakers. You know, we're building our own tribe. But we are not called to bring divide, but to bring things together, to make whole. That's our calling. The word peacemakers literally means to be a founder of peace. Uh, who do you think of when you say the founders? Probably the, the founding fathers, right? People you know, like uh, Ben Franklin, Samuel Adams, not the beer, the other guy, John Adams, Alexander Hamilton, people like that. They come to mind when we talk about founding fathers because they started the nation. Well, to be a peacemaker is to be a different kind of founder. It's to be the one who starts peace. The one who starts peace. I, I've noticed over the years that, you know, in every group, there's always one or two who come to their senses first. You know, when the room is divided and the people are, you know, there's always one or two that, they become the peacemakers and begin to draw people back together. I've noticed this in couples, too, with husbands and wives. It's usually one or the other who usually says, enough of this foolishness. Regardless of who was guilty, regardless of who started this, there's always somebody in the couple, or usually somebody in the couple, who says, we need to make up. We need to make Peace. They are the peacemakers. And that's the call here is to bring peace to situations regardless of who's at fault. If you don't understand that part, I would like to refer you back to verse 7, which is about mercy. 
The message of peace is the message of the gospel. When we find peace with God, we find peace in ourselves, and we're able to have peace with others. You know, as a church and as individuals, we have a calling which separates us from violence and war. That's the simplest definition of peace. But it's not just an absence of war. It's a calling to make peace with others and among others. It's not just about being peaceful. It's about being peacemakers. You know, there's a story that crosses several of these Beatitudes. It's a big part of our history. Uh, Do you know the story of Dirk Willems? Some of you, if you've been through my membership class, you will know who Dirk Willems is. He's one of our spiritual ancestors. He was a, a Dutch Anabaptist which means the word Anabaptist means to be rebaptized or baptized again. In that day, their church believed in baptizing infants, and as he was reading Scripture, as that group was reading Scripture, they realized that, that Scripture teaches us to baptize after we've come to faith, and so that's what he did. He was baptized, and then subsequent to that at his home, he baptized several other people and came to the attention of the Catholic Church. And they arrested him, and they imprisoned him in 1569. But Willems escaped. He, he made ropes out of rags, and he, and he hung it out his window, and he was able to get down and out of the building and ran away. But a guard saw him going and gave chase. Well, Willems ran out across a frozen pond, and, and the ice was pretty thin, but he made it to the other side. Well, the guard came behind him, and as he was running across the pond, the ice broke. And he fell through, and he was screaming for his life. And Willems was already safe across. He could have kept running, and he would have been free. But he came back out on that ice, and he pulled that man out of the water and saved his life. And as a result, he was arrested, and he was tortured, and he was put to death by burning at the stake. I read an account of his his death that I hadn't heard before yesterday, and it was that that on the particular day in which Willems was was, uh, burned at the stake, the wind was blowing very strongly, and what that meant was that the fire stayed down low beneath his waist, and it took a while for him to burn to death, but the whole time that he was dying, he was proclaiming God and calling out the need for salvation. We are called to be peacemakers, and that that strays beyond the boundaries of the absence of war. Sometimes that means suffering, as Jesus did, in order to save others. Jesus is the supreme peacemaker. He brings peace between God and man, and between man and man. And our peacemaking extends to reconciliation, which is part of the ministry to which we are called. You know, imagine the, the shock of the political zealots who would have been sitting there on that hill that same day that Jesus was teaching. You know, they were ready. They were, they were excited. There was, their passions were inflamed. They were ready to rise up and do armed rebellion against the Romans, and they wanted Jesus to lead them. And Jesus says to them, blessed are the peacemakers, 
Wow, that would be a letdown. That would be a complete shock. That's completely countercultural. But it's countercultural not just to them, but also to us today. Peacemaking has been a very important part of our history. Men in our church have been imprisoned for choosing peace. Others have served peace on a grander scale. Brethren in Christ, people have been involved in negotiating peace treaties among people, groups, and even between two nations. We are called to be at peace with God through Jesus. We are called to live at peace with others. We are called to make peace between others. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Peacemaking is not a weak thing. Peacemaking is a Jesus thing. It's one of the ways that we are identified as the children of God. Well, then Matthew finishes this, the Beatitudes, with persecution, the whole story of persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the opposite of peace, isn't it? Persecution. I, I sometimes find it personally difficult to speak about persecution because I haven't experienced any. Oh, I've gone through all the little nitpicky stuff, you know. I've been insulted for my faith and all those things, and here in America we call that persecution. But we have not experienced persecution. Christians face severe threats for their faith, for standing up for Jesus all over the world. I'm sure you're all too aware of what's going on in Afghanistan this week. You know, we were talking last night and this morning about, you know, I planned this sermon series a long time ago, months ago, and who would know that the day we talk about persecution is a day when persecution or a week when persecution is starting up again in the nation of Afghanistan. And Christians are fearing for their lives. The other night there was a prayer request from a pastor in Kabul and, and it said something like this. They, they know that I'm a Christian and they're going door to door in my neighborhood and I expect to meet Jesus tonight. And, and some of you have seen different variations on that but you know, the sobering thought that Bonnie and I had last night as we were talking was, you know, this pastor put this prayer request out about four days ago. He might already be dead. He might already be dead simply because he worshipped and followed Jesus. Voice of the Martyrs says, followers of Christ our brothers and sisters live in every province of Afghanistan. They, they know that in the eyes of the Taliban, they are infidels and under their law deserve death. And they just beg, pray for them. Pray for them. You know that living in righteousness can be offensive to others. Did you know that? Merely being a Christ follower is an offense, and in some places an offense punishable by death. I've been watching the news this week, and, and while the Taliban have been making profit promises of a softer, milder form of Taliban, I think most people are pretty skeptical about that given their history. 
and Christians are afraid for their lives. Past experience has told them that they will not be tolerated. And some fear a kind of religious genocide. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We rejoice not because we're being persecuted. It's because of the heavenly reward that when we join Jesus in heaven and when we experience the coming of the new kingdom, when it's fulfilled on earth, then we'll experience that full peace, that full blessing, that full joy. Because something better, something much much better is coming. As I, I, I labored over how to finish the sermon this morning, and I was going through this part, which I think is so important, I just felt like instead of talking more about, about this, I think we should pray about this. And so I'd like to spend the next few minutes praying for the country of Afghanistan particularly. We can pray for for all who are persecuted in various parts of the world for their faith in Jesus. But the voice of the martyrs has suggested six particular ways that we can pray for Jesus or pray through Jesus for people who are suffering in this country. First of all, pray for God's protection over his people. Pray for wisdom to decide what's next, to stay or go or who they can talk to. They need great wisdom. They need spiritual wisdom, supernatural wisdom. Pray for fellowship between believers. Uh, at least pray for them to have fellowship with at least one other believer so that they can be encouraged and they can hang on and know that they're not alone. Pray for safe passage to those who are led by God to leave. Pray that Muslims will meet Christ Pray that they will see this, this side of Islam and reject it and be drawn to Jesus who is the shepherd savior. And pray for Christians who are trying to help. Pray for those who are frontline workers who are there on the ground right now that God will open a new pathway, a new way to minister even under Taliban control. And I've added a seventh one to their list and that is a special prayer for the women and the girls of this country. You know what has happened in the past under Taliban rule. And so we pray for protection and for freedom. I'm going to invite Justin to come and we're going to pray for these things and invite you to pray along with us. Lord God, we first of all, we pray for your protection over your people and over the people in general of the population. We pray that you will keep your followers safe. We pray that you will deliver them from evil. We pray for miracles because miracles are needed here in many cases. And if that pastor that I read about, that whose prayer request I read is still alive, we pray that you will preserve his life and open his mouth to speak the gospel. Allow him to continue sharing until death. Father God, uh, I pray for wisdom for the brothers and sisters that are there on the ground. Lord, your word says that we are to seek wisdom 
that comes from God. It's more precious than gold, more valuable than silver. Lord, I just pray that you would give each believer, each person that's suffering or could suffer from this persecution, Lord, I pray that you give them more wisdom than they could ever acquire on their own. Lord, that it would be obvious that you poured out wisdom on them. Lord, your word is just full of stories of great wisdom and people slipped through the hands of those that were persecuting and made it to freedom through wisdom. And Lord, I just pray that you would meet their every need and you would make them wise for your glory, that many, many would come to know you as Lord and Savior through this. Lord, I pray for the encouragement and fellowship of believers. I pray that you will draw together through spiritual means those who are worshipers and those who follow you. And I pray that you will help them to identify one another and to gain strength and encouragement from one another. And Lord, I pray that you will continue to grow this church as you have in other places of persecution beyond its normal boundaries. Allow it to explode, even if kept secret, even if kept hidden. Lord, I pray that this fellowship would be a beautiful thing, a uniting of the community of God. Father God, we pray for safe passage for those that are trying to leave and get out safely. Lord, I'm thinking of the Underground Railroad, Lord, where people work together to create safe passageways that people could get to freedom. Lord, I, I think of how throughout your word you used sinners and people that were really lost to help the people of God find freedom and protect them. Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would use Muslims, you would use people that are not of any faith, that you would use them to bring passageways, safety to those that are trying uh, to get out. Lord, and, and if not, I pray you use them mightily right where they are and that many would come to salvation in Christ through this time of persecution. But we ask that you provide safety. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Lord God, we pray for Muslims in this country. We pray that you will move in their hearts and that they will see the harsh face of the Taliban and of ISIS who's creeping back in. And we pray, God, that they will see this harsh part and pray that they will reject this and embrace Jesus who is offered to them. Lord, allow hearts to be changed. We, we pray for these Isad dreams to continue, that they will see Jesus in their dreams and come to him. Lord, open the mouths of your believers so that they can boldly share in this difficult situation. We pray for a massive turning. We pray for a complete sweep of your gospel through these nations, not just this nation that we're praying for, but all those that surround it. We pray for a mass turning of Muslims in this world. We pray for Christians that are trying to help. 
God, I pray that uh, the Muslims would see the, the, uh, the fellowship. Your word says that they will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another, the way you sacrifice for one another. Lord Jesus, I pray that you reveal the church of Jesus Christ, that kinship, that common spiritual bond through the Holy Spirit that we share, that they don't get the joy, they don't get to receive uh, serving their God. Lord, that God in heaven is close and near and they too can see and experience a personal relationship with you. I pray that it's just evident as the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ work together to provide safety and protection. Lord, I pray that uh, your word talks about there being armies that far outnumber those that come against us. Look, lift your eyes and see, for the numbers are great, far greater that are ready to do battle on our behalf than those that come against our Christian brothers and sisters. And Lord, we pray for the women and the girls of this country, Afghanistan, we pray that you will protect them, even as we've heard stories of them going door to door and removing young girls to be wives. We pray, God, that you will stop this practice, that you yes. will do something supernatural to scare them away from this practice. And we pray, God, that you will preserve the safety of women and girls in that country. We pray that you will protect their freedoms and the opportunity to have education and to move into other areas of life where they have had that freedom over several years. And we pray that that would continue. We just pray for the collapse of the Taliban by the power of the Holy Spirit and the collapse of ISIS under the power of the Holy Spirit and that you will, as Justin prayed, release those armies of heaven Amen. to completely overwhelm this force. We thank you for your presence, not only here among us, but there and everywhere where people cry out for you. Move by your spirit freely and abundantly. Pour out your spirit on this nation. In Jesus' name, amen.